Chapter 2 of The General History of the Pirates, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Turritson. The General History of the Pirates, Volume 1 by Charles Johnson. Chapter 2 of Captain Martell and His Crew. I come now to the pirates that have rose since the Peace of Utrecht. In wartime there is no room for any, because all those of a roving, adventurous disposition find employment in privateers, so there is no opportunity for pirates. Like our mobs in London, when they come to any height, our superiors order out the train bands, and when once they are raised, the others are suppressed, of course. I take the reason of it to be that the mob go into the tame army and immediately from notorious breakers of the peace become, by being put into order, solemn preservers of it. And should our legislators put some of the pirates into authority, it would not only lessen their number, but, I imagine, set them upon the rest, and they would be the likeliest people to find them out, according to the proverb, set a thief to catch a thief. To bring this about, there needs no other encouragement but to give all the effects taken aboard a pirate vessel to the captors, for in case of plunder and gain, they like it as well from friends as enemies, but are not fond, as things are carried, of ruining poor fellows, say the Creolians, with no advantage to themselves. The multitude of men and vessels employed this way in time of war in the West Indies is another reason for the number of pirates in a time of peace. This cannot be supposed to be a reflection on any of our American governments, much less on the king himself, by whose authority such commissions are granted, because of the reasonableness and absolute necessity there is for the doing of it. Yet the observation is just for so many idle people employing themselves in privateers for the sake of plunder and riches, which they always spend as fast as they get. For when the war is over and they can have no farther business in the way of life they have been used to, they too readily engage in acts of piracy, which being but the same practice without a commission, they make very little distinction betwixt the lawfulness of one and the unlawfulness of the other. I have not inquired so far back as to know the original of this rover, but I believe he and his gang were some privateer's men belonging to the island of Jamaica in the preceding war. His story is but short, for his reign was so, an end having been put to his adventures in good time when he was growing strong and formidable. We find him commander of a pirate sloop of eight guns and eighty men in the month of September 1716, cruising off Jamaica, Cuba, etc., about which time he took the Berkeley galley, Captain Saunders, and plundered him of one thousand pounds in money, and afterwards met with a sloop called the King Solomon, for which he took some money and provisions, besides goods, to a good value. They proceeded after this to the port of Cavana, at the island of Cuba, and in their way took two sloops, which they plundered and let go, and off the port fell in with a fine galley with twenty guns called the John and Martha, Captain Wilson, which they attacked under the piratical black flag and made themselves masters of her. They put some of the men ashore and others they detained, as they had done several times, 
to increase their company, but Captain Martell charged Captain Wilson to advise his owners that their ship would answer his purpose exactly by taking one deck down, and as for the cargo, which consisted chiefly of logwood and sugar, he would take care it should be carried to a good market. Having fitted up the aforesaid ship as they designed, they mounted her with 22 guns, 100 men, and left 25 hands in the sloop, and so proceeded to cruise off the leeward islands, where they met with but too much success. After the taking of the sloop and a brigantine, they gave chase to a stout ship, which they came up with, and at sight of the pirate's flag, she struck to the robbers, being a ship of twenty guns, called the Dolphin, bound for Newfoundland. Captain Martell made the men prisoners and carried the ship with him. The middle of December, the pirates took another galley in her voyage home from Jamaica, called the Kent, Captain Lawton, and shifted her provisions aboard their own ship and let her go, which obliged her to sail back to Jamaica for a supply for her voyage. After this, they met with a small ship and a sloop belonging to Barbados. Out of both they took provisions, and then parted with them, having first taken out some of their hands, who were willing to be forced to go along with them. The Greyhound Galley of London, Captain Evans, from Guinea to Jamaica, was the next that had the misfortune to fall in their way, which they did not detain long, for as soon as they could get out all of her gold dust, elephant's teeth, and forty slaves, they sent her onwards upon her voyage. They concluded now that twas high time to get into harbor and refit, as well as to get refreshments themselves, and wait an opportunity to dispose of their cargo. Therefore twas resolved to make the best of their way to Santa Crux, a small island in the latitude of eighteen thirty north, ten mile long and two broad, lying southeast of Puerto Rico, belonging to the French settlements. Here they thought they might lie privately for some time and fit themselves for further mischief. They met with a sloop by the way, which they took along with them, and in the beginning of the year 1716-17 to 17, they arrived at their port, having a ship of twenty guns, a sloop of eight, and three prizes, viz. another ship of twenty guns, a sloop of four guns, and another sloop last taken. With this little fleet they got into a small harbor, or road, the northwest part of the island, and warped up two creeks, which were made by a little island lying in the bay. I am the more particular now, because I shall take leave of the gentlemen at this place. They had here bare sixteen-foot water at the deepest, and but thirteen or fourteen at the shallowest, and nothing but rocks and sands without, which secured them from the wind and sea, and likewise from any considerable force coming against them. When they had all got in, the first thing they had to do was to guard themselves in the best manner they could. They made a battery of four guns upon the island, and another battery of two guns on the north point of the road, and warped in one of the sloops with eight guns at the mouth of the channel to hinder any vessels from coming in. When this was done, they went to work on their ship, unrigging and unloading, in order to clean, where I shall leave them a while, till I bring other company to them. In the month of November 1716, General Hamilton, commander-in-chief of all the leeward Caribbean islands, sent a sloop express to Captain Hume at Barbados, commander of His Majesty's ship, 
Scarborough of 30 guns and 140 men to acquaint him that the two pirate sloops of 12 guns each molested the colonies, having plundered several vessels. The Scarborough had buried 20 men and had near 40 sick and therefore was but in ill state to go to sea. However, Captain Hume left his sick men behind and sailed to the other islands for a supply of men, taking 20 soldiers from Antigua. At Nevis he took 10 and 10 at St. Christopher's and then sailed to the island of Anguilla where he learned that sometime before two such sloops had been at Spanish town, otherwise called one of the Virgin Islands. Accordingly, the next day, the Scarborough came to Spanish town, but could hear no news of the sloops, only that they had been there about Christmas, it being then the 15th of January. Captain Hume, finding no account could be had of these pirates, designed to go back the next day to Barbados. But it happened that night that a boat anchored there from Santa Crux and informed him that he saw a pirate ship of 22 or 24 guns with other vessels going into the northwest part of the island aforesaid. The Scarborough weighed immediately, and the next morning came in sight of the rovers and their prizes and stood to them, but the pilot refused to venture in with the ship, all the while the pirates fired red-hot bullets from the shore. At length the ship came to an anchor alongside the reef near the channel and cannonaded for several hours, both the vessels and batteries. About four in the afternoon the sloop that guarded the channel was sunk by the shot of the man-of-war. Then she cannonaded the pirate ship of twenty-two guns that lay behind the island. The next night, viz. the eighteenth, it falling calm, Captain Hume weighed, fearing he might fall on the reef, and so stood off and on for a day or two to block them up. On the twentieth, in the evening, they observed the man-of-war to stand off to sea, and took the opportunity to warp out in order to slip away from the island. But at twelve o'clock they run aground, and then seeing the Scarborough about, standing in again as their case was desperate, so they were put into the utmost confusion. They quitted the ship and set her on fire with twenty negroes in her, who were all burnt. Nineteen of the pirates made their escape in a small sloop, but the captain and the rest, with twenty negroes, betook to the woods, where twas probable they might starve, for we never heard what became of them afterwards. Captain Hume released the prisoners with the ship and sloop that remained, and then went after the two pirate sloops first mentioned. End of chapter 2